H.E. News, episode number four. You're listening to Health Empowerment News with Croft Woodruff. Are you suffering from drug-induced nutrient depletion? Let's find out now. Welcome back again to Health Empowerment News with Croft Woodruff. My name is Andrew McGivern. I'm here in the Vancouver studios with Croft Woodruff. And once again, it's good to see you, Andrew. Thank you, Croft. Good to see you too. And today's topic is one of your favorite topics when you're doing your lecture series, and that is drug-induced nutrient depletion. What is drug-induced nutrient depletion? Well, what it means is this. You have a drug that is designed to have an effect on, um, in this case, the human organism, say such as an anti-inflammatory, like aspirin, for instance, there are consequences uh, for the, say, anti-inflammatory effect of, of aspirin. It will deplete the body of uh, vitamin C. And there is evidence to show that it will deplete the body of uh, B vitamins. And, in fact, probably one of the worst things that you could use, for instance, uh, to suppress a fever, would be to take an aspirin. Because by suppressing the fever... You're going, to pro- you're going to prolong the problem that brought on the fever in the first place. Hmm. Isn't the old saying, take two and call me in the morning? Well, that's, of course, what the, the doctor used to say, uh, and probably still does, take two aspirins and call me in the morning. Uh, but it might, might not necessarily be aspirin, and the, the latest thing, of course, was Bextra, which is an anti-inflammatory of a category known as COX-2 inhibitor, and uh, the the patent holder was uh, Pfizer. And just within the last two days has come out that the United States Justice Department has fined Pfizer $2.5 billion for uh, advertising and promoting Bextra for purposes other than what it was uh, licensed to be marketed for. And that, of course, as an anti-inflammatory, as an anti-arthritis agent. Now, Bextra happens to be of the same class as Vioxx. Does everybody remember Vioxx? It's been off the market now for, what, I guess around um, five or six years or longer, maybe even a little longer than that, it uh, first came out, I think, in the early part of the new century. It resulted in a lot of deaths. Yes, and it injuries. did. And uh, it happens to be the same class of drug as uh, Bextra, a COX 2 inhibitor. And uh, basically, an anti inflammatory. And of course, there are, you can say, two types of anti inflammatories there's the non steroidal, which uh, your COX 2 inhibitors. Other anti-inflammatories like aspirin, Tylenol, uh, and such, uh, they would fall into that category. And then you have the steroidal anti-inflammatory, which would come from um, animal steroids, okay? And, and it has their own characteristics of, uh, of nutrient depletion, the big problem with Bextra, as it was with Vioxx, and by the way, it is with all COX-2 inhibitors, they deplete the body of its ability to uh, produce coenzyme Q10. Coenzyme Q10 is uh, absolutely part of the energy output of each cell in the body. And without CoQ10, you end up with muscle wasting, muscle pain for sure, and ultimately heart failure. Because after all, what is the heart but uh, the most important muscle in the body? So people who are taking these anti-inflammatories on a regular basis should be supplementing with coenzyme Q10? Yes, but that isn't all. They need to be supplementing with minerals like calcium and magnesium and zinc uh, and selenium 
and uh, also vitamin C, which is a very important mineral transporter, and it has anti-inflammatory characteristics in its own right without any downsides that uh, these synthetic drugs happen to offer. So this is what we're saddled with. And it wasn't just uh, Vioxx that was a problem. Baycol, B-A-Y-C-O-L, was a bit from the Bayer Corporation, also a COX-2 inhibitor, and it too was responsible for thousands of deaths because of its ability to, to deplete the body of uh, this very important enzyme, coenzyme Q10. So uh, this, is, this is the sort of thing you're facing with, in this case, uh, these anti-inflammatories. And, uh, and of course, anti-inflammatories, as I say, they don't just deplete you of CoQ10. They will deplete you of other nutrients and other minerals as well and set you... Because one of the reasons why they actually work is because they are mobilizing these nutritional factors that are stored either in your bones or in your tissues out of the system... And because they're mobilizing out of the system, they have the effect of giving some relief. Some relief. But if you are not replacing that which is being mobilized out of the system, then sooner or later you're going to suffer the effects of depletion. And then things will fall on you like a ton of bricks. So these anti-inflammatories are very, very commonly prescribed or over-the-counter. Oh, yes. Um, As far as I know, uh, unless it's a very potent one, uh, they're available now pretty well without prescription. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, but you haven't heard the whole story. I mean, so we've, we've uh, just taken a big swipe, and justifiably so, at the COX-2 inhibitors. The ones that are still on the market, by the way, are Aleve, A-L-E-V-E. And uh, I can't think of some of the others, but so Baycol is off. It was one of the first ones to be taken off, followed by Viox. And now, of course, Bextra. But uh, let's look at acetaminophen, commonly known as Tylenol. This has a nasty habit of depleting the liver of glutathione. Glutathione is a tripeptide. It is the fundamental part of what is known as one of the ma- or the master enzyme in the body. Uh, so you have glutathione uh, peroxidase and glutathione reductase. And these are very important for, for healthy liver function. And without glutathione, the liver can't function. And so the biggest risk of Tylenol or acetaminophen overdose is uh, liver failure. And in fact, in the United States, as in Canada, the number one cause for emergency room appearance is liver failure uh, induced by misuse, abuse, overuse of acetaminophen or brand name Tylenol. And of course, uh, some of those liver failures can, and they do end up as liver transplant. What about ibuprofen? Ibuprofen, uh, I think, is uh, it's a non-steroidal. It's, uh, it's not related to Tylenol or acetaminophen. Uh, so it will have similar depleting effects as aspirin, and and uh, some of the other other nutrients, anyways. Even though uh, if, even if they don't deplete do of CoQ10, there's still going to be a problem uh, with uh, mineral and uh, not only mineral but B vitamin depletion. The steroidal anti-inflammatories, like the sulfa drugs, for instance, they also deplete you of, uh, of B vitamins and vitamin C and and important minerals like zinc and Calcium and magnesium. So for people, Manganese, for, copper. For people who take these every now and then for headaches or migraines and maybe back pain, what's the recommended supplement? Would you take a multivitamin? Would you take? Well, you certainly would have to take something to account for the nutrient loss if you've been on these drugs, or if you have no other choice but to be on one of these drugs. My advice is to uh, just see what your doctor has to say about it. And if you're unsure about what your doctor has to say about it, then get a second or even a third opinion. You might find that you'll have to uh, talk to a naturopathic physician, for instance. Also, good idea to talk to your chiropractor, especially if you're dealing with uh, lower back pain or uh, spinal cord issues, neck problems. 
they are in a good position to give you advice and certainly uh, show you some exercises that uh, can be very helpful to uh, train your spine to be, uh, you know, positioned properly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, of course, if you have injuries, that's another issue. But certainly uh, uh, supplementing with a good, potent, multiple vitamin and mineral, and I would look for one that has, is complete with all the Bs and uh, what I call the macro Bs, like thiamine, riboflavin, pyridoxin, uh, and so on and so forth, at least 50 milligrams per, per vitamin, uh, except for folic acid, at least one millig- maximum of one milligram there per tablet, and B12, at least, I'd say, um, maybe 50 micrograms, 100 micrograms. The more the merrier. You can always take extra vitamin B12 anyways. Uh, it's non-toxic. And as a matter of fact, uh, I have seen studies uh, where biochemists uh, was successfully using to treat certain cancers with very high doses of vitamin B12 in the range of 10,000 international units. And in the case also uh, folic acid, I think in the neighborhood of 5 to 10 milligrams, but these would be prescription items. So you'd have to be dealing with, with a physician who knows these things and uh, would be able to prescribe them to you if that was your bent, if you had this particular problem that would you know require these. So... Getting back to a good B complex, so uh, that would give you um, calcium and magnesium, and preferably in, in a one-to-one ratio. If it isn't, if you've got 150 milligrams of calcium, elemental calcium as citrate per capsule or tablet, and uh, maybe just 50 milligrams of mag- magnesium as citrate, my advice to you would be to take enough uh, calcium citrate to bring up your daily intake to at least 500 milligrams of elemental calcium and, uh, and uh, at least 500 milligrams of elemental magnesium. And these should be taken uh, with food on the stomach and not all at once, but early in the day with breakfast and in lunch and if necessary, perhaps with an evening meal. But digestion is strongest in the morning and that's why I think these should be taken in the morning with food on the stomach. I'm also a great believer in taking extra vitamin C. I've seen some very remarkable results with people taking um, just more than one gram or or even half a gram of vitamin C, but getting up to 3,000 milligrams of vitamin C to 6,000 milligrams or even uh, 10,000 milligrams. And of course, 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C is actually one gram. So uh, 10,000 milligrams would be 10 grams of vitamin C. My advice to do to you would be to take it in divided doses with your meals, and you know do it in quarters, quarter at breakfast, quarter at lunch, quarter at supper if it's convenient to do it that way, and the remaining quarter at bedtime, or else the third at breakfast, the third at you know breakfast or, or rather lunch or supper, and the 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 last third at uh, at bedtime. Vitamin C can do you a lot of good uh, early in the morning. Around 2 a.m. onward, you'll have a significant drop of vitamin C levels in your blood. So uh, what a better idea than to take vitamin C before you go to bed so that your blood levels will uh, not drop below a point where you might be in distress. Vitamin C is a very powerful uh, protector against bacteria, and it's a most potent antiviral agent. Interesting. Let's move on to the to the prescription drugs, and I suppose the most commonly prescribed drug would probably be the statin class of drugs. Would yeah, you agree? so of course that is what uh, the uh, Lipitor, which is the one that's really pushed, and it's supposed to have all the studies to show that it really works. Well, the fact is is that uh, what it really does for you is to deplete you of coenzyme Q10, and uh, people who are on uh, statins, and uh, and I've seen people on multiple statins they are at risk of dying from heart failure because the heart has no longer any energy to beat, and so it just stops. And why? Because Lipitor prevents the production of coenzyme Q10. Just like the anti-inflammatory. Just like the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories of the COX-2 inhibitor variety, the Bextra, the Bacol, the uh, Aleve, as well as the Vioxx variety. Hmm. So for people who are on a statin, 
same regimen of vitamins? Well, the chances are that these people who are on statins ought to be on magnesium in addition to a high-quality multiple vitamin and mineral that is generous in the B vitamins. I already mentioned what I call a 50-milligram spectrum of your B vitamins. Uh, the exception would be B12 and folic acid, which will be, in the case of B12, measured in micrograms, and in the case of folic acid, a maximum of one milligram. And with extra magnesium and a little extra calcium so that your maximum daily intake would be in the range of 500 milligrams of elemental calcium, 500 milligrams of elemental magnesium. Uh, make sure you're getting a, a, a minimum of 50 milligrams of elemental zinc because it's important for every cell in your body. The nucleus of every cell in your body needs zinc so the cell can properly replicate. And in addition to that, zinc, like vitamin C, has antiviral uh, activity, and it is also a, a very important for immune function, obviously, like vitamin C. Other uh, factors, selenium, very important for heart and liver function. Uh, it is the trigger that brings into activity the already mentioned previous episode, the master enzyme glutathione, which is byproduct of liver function and is there to help the liver to deal with toxins that you are exposed to uh, either through the environment that you're in, uh, your exposure through industry, through the foods that you are eating where there are pesticide residues of different kinds and where you might be even exposed to certain toxic metals. And what about the other drugs like the blood thinners, diuretics? Yeah, well, the blood thinners, well, this is what really makes me laugh. What would you need a blood thinner for when you've already got a natural blood thinner in the form of vitamin E? And a vitamin E uh, at 800 international units or more a day. And my advice, if you're going to use vitamin E, start off with, say, 200 international units at breakfast and 200 international units, uh, say, at uh, lunchtime. And for about, uh, say, a week, and then double it at breakfast and at lunchtime. And then uh, after another week or so, put in another 400 units at supper time so that you'll be getting uh, at least maybe 1,600 international units a day because this is very protective of the cardiovascular system. And by the way, vitamin E also has antiviral activity. Vitamin C, I've already mentioned uh, how much uh, that you should be taking for that. If you want to boost your immune system and protect your cardiovascular system, a study that was done in Scotland well over a decade ago, they showed that the uh, cholesterol levels were at uh, what would be considered optimum levels in, uh, in Scotland in the, in, the, uh, in the adults that were tested, and it was corresponding with uh, the fresh food season from local... Uh, uh, produce, local agricultural products, and the cholesterol levels were, were ideal all through the harvest season and into the late fall until the uh, food started to be uh, imported from southern Europe and North Africa. And of course, they can also be imported from uh, uh, even further, you know, some places like Australia, uh, New Zealand, and so on. But the bottom line is this, is that the cholesterol started to rise when people are eating the imported fresh fruit and vegetables as opposed to when they were on the locally grown produce. And what the physicians also found that uh, if uh, these patients were given 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day, their cholesterol levels uh, re were restored to normal, and they could take that throughout the, the winter months and, uh, and do very well. Thank you very much. And, of course, the fact is that it must be noted that cholesterol is... Technically, it is an essential fatty acid. Uh, it is what is uh, comprised of your cell membrane. Your cell membrane, in other words, is comprised of cholesterol. It helps to uh, prevent unwanted bacteria and viruses and other things uh, to get in and uh, to the uh, cell and poison the nucleus of the cell. And uh, so it plays a very, very important role. Your liver will manufacture cholesterol, if your body is, uh, if you're not getting enough in the diet. And of course, uh, cholesterol is an animal fatty acid. It's animal-based. There is no cholesterol uh, in vegetable uh, oils. So lard, uh, which of course is fat from swine, uh, beef tallow, 
uh, any oil from uh, from fish or 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 fowl, any animal you will find animal fat will have cholesterol in it. But you see, what is not understood is the fact that when you fry with vegetable oils, you oxidize them. At frying temperatures over 350 degrees, uh, you will introduce trans fats. Even though you might be eating out and having French fries that are trans fat-free, they've been boiled in vegetable oil, there will be trans fats. Trans fats mean rancidity. You may not taste it. It all depends on uh, how cheap the restaurateur is when it comes to changing uh, the fat that they're boiling their fries and other foods in. But the bottom line is you are eating rancid fat and you will pay a toll. And this will have an effect on uh, your, uh, your cell membrane. It will uh, destroy the cell membrane uh, or make it more vulnerable to, uh, to damage and invasion from viruses and other destructive organisms. And, uh, and of course, it will raise uh, the bad cholesterol and will uh, do damage to the whole cardiovascular system. That is what you're facing when you use uh, these hydrogenated or partially hydrogenated or even non-hydrogenated vegetables. If you want to use a vegetable oil that won't do this, then you have to go to a naturally unsaturated vegetable oil, such as uh, palm kernel oil as well as um, coconut oil. But if it says modified on the label... Don't buy it because it ha- means it's an, a euphemism. Modified means it's a euphemism for hydrogenation or, pridro- or partially hydrogenated. So you'd just be self-defeating if you use a mo- modified uh, coconut or palm kernel oil substitute. Olive oil, if it has a very high uh, uh, antioxidant content, which, of course, your extra virgin olive oil will have, yes, you might be able to use it once. But uh, it too, uh, the high temperature frying is going to uh, destroy the uh, natural antioxidants in the oil and then it will become, uh, you know, a, a threat rather than a boon to your health. As far as I'm concerned, olive oil should be used raw on salads. If, as I said, if you want to fry, your other option, of course, is to fry with lard. And that's fine if you're neither Muslim or Jew. Because, of course, uh, in those religions, uh, pork fat is forbidden. But uh, not everybody is Jewish and not everybody is Muslim. And, uh, and not everybody is vegetarian and they will use uh, lard. But you better read the label because nowadays the way they feed the pigs, uh, a lot of their fat is liquid. And so the lard has to be hydrogenated to make it solid at room temperature. So uh, that's another <clears throat> one of the facets of uh, modern uh, uh, animal uh, husbandry where they're fiddling around with the diet of animals. When it comes to wild game, which would be venison from deer, moose, uh, uh, elk, reindeer, uh, the fat from these animals, even wild horses, uh, is uh, safe to eat and to, to cook with because uh, uh, it isn't so super saturated and therefore it will withstand frying and uh, cooking temperatures. Same applies to wild birds, uh, turkey, geese, and ducks, and that sort of thing. That's if you're, that's your event. Uh, this program is meant to educate, not to uh, indoctrinate you into uh, one position or another if you have already have your own uh, 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 ideology in t- terms of uh, what your diet should or should not be. We're not trying to be dogmatic here. So the, the idea is you can do what is best for your own health and well-being. So you do have options. So as I pointed out, if you uh, want to have uh, fried foods, uh, then uh, you better look for coconut or palm kernel oil if you're a vegetarian. What about, for, what about herbs like garlic and whatnot for cholesterol? Yes, uh, garlic has been shown to uh, lower cholesterol. Uh, when uh, you see uh, during the Second World particularly, the, uh, because of patent right protection with the German pharmaceutical companies, the uh, very patriotic British and American uh, pharmaceutical houses uh, were not uh, permitted to market uh, because of their patent agreements with uh, the Bayer Corporation and other uh, IG Farben, actually, of Germany. 
uh, the, uh, they, they were not allowed to uh, produce um, the sulfur drugs during the Second World War, and that put uh, the Allied armies in a bind. In the case of the Russians, uh, they couldn't get it anyways because the communist dictatorship was out of sorts with the capitalist world. But the Russians, uh, to uh, keep their troops uh, fighting and to fight off the cold and the flu and other infections, they used garlic. And garlic became known as the, uh, the Russian penicillin. And because of the problems with infections amongst the Allied armies, particularly uh, sexually transmitted diseases, which is always a problem uh, in wartime with soldiers on leave, uh, their sexual activity, uh, sexual uh, transmitted diseases become a real problem. And uh, the Allies were forced to um, uh, bring... Uh, they were actually forced to force the pharmaceutical companies to take penicillin off the shelf and put it into the field and uh, use it and uh, get uh, those problems under control. So that was the story behind penicillin, the story behind the sulfa drugs, and, of course, the, the story behind the garlic. And there are other herbs that have powerful antibiotic activity, as well as cholesterol-lowering activity. Garlic certainly as an antibiotic and as a, as a cholesterol-balancing agent. Uh, you also have oil of oregano, as well as thyme and rosemary and other uh, aromatic herbs, either their essential oils or the herbs themselves. And, of course, this is very important why we should incorporate so many of these herbs raw into our diet, into the form of salads, you know. Now, some vegetables are best eaten uh, cooked or lightly cooked, and that means the cabbage family uh, because they have a anti-thyroid factor uh, which can uh, cause uh, hypothyroidism, and that's why they have to be uh, cooked or uh, processed in such a way like sauerkraut, for instance, in the case of cabbage, or pickled so that the, uh, the benefits are maintained, but the downside in this case inducing or stunting thyroid activity is eliminated. So um, that's the case with these vegetables of the cruciferous family, and that's your broccoli, your cabbage, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale, and can't think of anything else right now, but I think that pretty well covers it. So that brings up an interesting point, because we're talking about drug-induced nutrient depletion. Are there foods or vitamins that have that effect on other vitamins? Like if you take a, a nutrient, is it possible to deplete other nutrients? Uh, actually, probably you'll find is it enhances the uptake of minerals because vitamin C in its own right is a tran- mineral transporter. And of course, your B vitamins depend on minerals to be activated because your B vitamins are in fact a coenzyme factors so that they need selenium, for instance, to be activated and copper and vitamin C and copper, there's a correlation there. Uh, we already mentioned selenium. There's also, we're now finding out uh, vitamin C and molybdenum. So you will find in a quality high potency multiple vitamin mineral, you will find molybdenum included in the formulation, as you will find, of course, some manganese, uh, selenium. But selenium, very, very uh, important factor. It has powerful anti-cancer qualities, as is vitamin C, by the way. But selenium has been used experimentally on cancer patients. And what they found was this, that when the blood levels of the selenium reached 4 micrograms per deciliter, I guess it was, the tumor started to shrink. Now, the thing you have to know about selenium is there is a potential for toxicity but the fact is, is that you would have to take actually about a thousand times more selenium than the 200 micrograms that you might find in a tablet or present in a multiple vitamin and mineral. So it's very, very safe. And the fact is, is that in the North American diet, there are whole regions where the soils, like in the Ohio Great Lakes region of the U.S., there, uh, there are selenium deficiencies lacking in the soil. Same thing in the Fraser Valley and in British Columbia. 
higher areas of selenium in the soil are the Dakotas and Nebraska. So now we're not talking about drug-induced nutrient depletion. Well, we're talking about agricultural well, be induced, induced nutrient, nutrient depletion. depletion because of bad agricultural practices. Looking at the holy three of fertilizers like the nitrates, the phosphates, and the potash in themselves, they do stimulate an abundance, but not necessarily nutrient content. If the nutrient isn't in the soil, it's not going to be in the crop, and that is a, a lead pipe cinch. Uh, I can remember several years ago seeing it on the national news where there were cattle were down in the spring in the Canadian prairies, and uh, they admitted that the new grass was up, but the cattle were down because of a magnesium deficiency in the soil. And if it isn't in the soil, uh, or if not enough in the soil, it's not going to be in the grass which the cattle feed on. And of course, we all need magnesium. It regulates your heartbeat. A hundred years ago, the country doctor knew enough that when he faced a patient with a heart attack, the chances are that there was a magnesium deficiency and he would inject magnesium either into a vein or directly into the heart muscle and save his patients from dying from a heart attack. The magnesium is what I call the uh, forgotten nutrient. When they talk about bone health, they talk about calcium. And vitamin D is not to be overlooked either. We'll talk about that, but I just want to mention they talk about calcium, calcium, and calcium, and usually in forms where it's not very well absorbed, such as calcium, uh, calcium carbonate, other forms of calcium. The best form of calcium is citrate, as far as I'm concerned, uh, as is the, the best form of magnesium. They are cheap and readily available over the counter. But also uh, for bone health, they don't talk about enough mag uh, but vitamin D. 400 international units of vitamin D a day, forget it. The, even studies where they were using 800 international units of vitamin D a day wasn't enough to generate bone health or to cause uh, the bone to start to get dense as it should have been. They have to get up to 1,000 to 2,000 international units of vitamin D a day, and it must be in the form of vitamin D3. Vitamin D3 is the form of vitamin D that you make on your skin with the interaction of the sun's ultraviolet B rays and the cholesterol on your skin. The oil on your skin is number seven dehydrocholesterol. There you are, cholesterol, absolutely important nutritional factor for your ability to produce vitamin D. That's why it's a fatal mistake to bathe before you go sunbathing. No, don't bathe before you go sunbathing. Go sunbathing before you bathe. Because if, uh, and even then, maybe a couple of hours after you have sunbathed, for the simple reason, if you go and bathe, you'll wash the oil off your skin, either before or after sunbathing, and uh, you'll lose uh, a lot of the vitamin D that has been preformed, and it won't get into your skin and into the body where it's needed. And as far another tip about sunbathing for vitamin D, your best is to uh, sunbathe before 10 o'clock in the morning local time and after 4 o'clock in the afternoon, where the harmful rays, the harm, especially the ultraviolet A and the infrared rays, won't be as strong as to cause sunburn. And even then, limit yourself to maybe 10 to 15 minutes. It has been calculated, by the way, with regard to vitamin D toxicity, that uh, with full body exposure in about 20 minutes, and this is, this is before 10 in the morning, the body can actually produce 20,000 international units of vitamin D. Obviously, not all of it is used, but it's a cinch that we need a lot more vitamin D than what we're getting, especially... If you live beyond the 49th parallel, you're not getting enough vitamin D in the summer months to carry you through the winter, so it's advisable to supplement more. And interestingly enough, there was a study that was done with vitamin D in prostate cancer in men. It was carried out in Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. Mount Sinai Hospital is a teaching hospital of the University of Toronto, I believe, and they were giving men with various stages of uh, either enlarged prostate and some with prostate cancer and when they were given uh, just 2,000 international of vitamin D a day, the tumors started to shrink and disappear. And in the case of the uh, prostate gland itself, they started to shrink and go back to normal. Similar study carried out by the uh, U.S. National Cancer Institute in the United States 
uh, they were using vitamin D2, which is a synthetic form of vitamin D. It's made by uh, irradiating with ultraviolet rays a uh, fungus from uh, rye, I believe, and other plant sterols. Yeah, they wouldn't be... Um, Yes, it would be plant sterols because it is cholesterol, animal cholesterol, that you make vitamin D3. So you have a toxic form uh, in, the, in the form of vitamin D2. And in the case of the U.S. National Cancer Study, the prostate cancer patients responded negatively. The tumors kept on growing, and the, uh, the glands, uh, in the case of uh, prostatitis uh, or inflated, I should say in, inflamed uh, prostate or in the case of enlarged prostate, did not uh, get relief from the synthetic vitamin D. And by the way, there's another form of synthetic D because there's always controversy about synthetic versus natural. Well, I want to tell you right now that there is a significant difference between synthetic and natural vitamins, and it all depends on what the vitamin is synthetically derived from, uh, as opposed to uh, uh, any old thing. You synthesize vitamins in your body if you get enough of the right uh, nutrient combination. Plants synthesize vitamins, same difference from the nutrients that they get, and of course how vital sunshine is for that. But you can make vitamin D in the form of vitamin D4, I believe it is, by irradiating Crystals of for a phenol, I believe it is. But anyways, there is a form of vitamin D. It's called D4, and it's highly toxic. And, and that's why it's not on the market. But I guess it could be, uh, if they wanted very high potency, they'll go to D2. But it's not nearly as effective as vitamin D3 when it comes to... Uh, a positive effect on immune function. So as, as far as supplementing with vitamin D3, what doses are we looking at? In, in the winter months, uh, uh, I've seen it recommended by uh, uh, members of the Vitamin D Council, and this is for a group of uh, physicians and scientists. You can actually subscribe to the newsletter, just punch in Vitamin D Council. And they usually recommend about 2,000 international units a day or even more, depending on in the winter months particularly and uh, what part of the world you live in. Because if you're in the higher climates, uh, you know, uh, higher latitudes, uh, you're going to be getting less vitamin D from exposure to the sun, particularly in the winter months. And, of course, when you have cloudy, stormy days, you're not going to be getting much sunlight to produce vitamin D in, in any event. So. And what about pigment of your skin? Is the- Well, uh, that has to do with the, the melanin in the skin, and that's affected by uh, how much exposure you have. So it's to, of course, protect your skin, but you know you can overdo it with sun exposure and turn your skin into almost like leather. So would a, would a black person living in a northern climate they require need to take a lot extra more vitamin sun? D? They require to, and should be supplementing with extra vitamin D for sure. In fact, there is a connection, a direct connection between. Uh, uh, one form of multiple sclerosis and vitamin D deficiency. There is a viral form of multiple sclerosis that has been successfully treated and put into remission uh, with B vitamins and minerals and uh, vitamin D. Uh, some of the vitamins have to be uh, or in the injectable form. I know of people who have been successfully cured of their multiple sclerosis by these protocols. And if anybody wants to find out, they can email us and the information will be made available And as to uh, the studies and w- uh, where you can get the information. What about the other drugs, the diabetes, blood sugar Well, there's another problem. Uh, we have genetically engineered Humalog, which is a genetically engineered insulin They've taken uh, a gene from uh, a human insulin-producing cell and combined it with a gene from yeast, and then they can now grow this on a, uh, on a, uh, a medium, if you will, and produce uh, insulin as a byproduct. Unfortunately, uh, some diabetics cannot tolerate this factor, and uh, it may be because they are allergic to the yeast, uh, the medium of yeast that the uh, in human insulin was genetically en- produced in or genetically engineered to be produced in. But that is a fact. 
And so you have some diabetics who have to rely on either bovine or pork-derived insulin. And uh, very interesting, by the way, about this, because when it comes to blood, uh, I should say genetic typing, humans genetically, their RNA DNA is very closely typed to that of, in terms of tissue typing, to that of uh, swine. And that is why uh, most people who are diabetic can tolerate insulin from, from pork, derived from pork, uh, insulin-producing cells, and also why they can also tolerate pigs' heart valves transplanted into their own heart. But such is not necessarily the case when we look at, for instance, monkeys. Genetically, we are very closely related to them. But interesting enough, unlike pork viruses that will jump to humans, which is one of the downsides of that close relationship, that doesn't happen with monkeys and apes. Unless, of course, we incubate vaccines in the tissues of monkeys and apes, which has been done and has caused a problem. What about the Cialis, Viagra, those type of drugs? Do they have nutrient-depleting effects on the body well, as well? Well, I would imagine they would. Uh, zinc, particularly in men, is very important for sperm production. And zinc depletion can also affect the ability to uh, get and maintain an erection. Okay. And, of course, vitamin C is important for fertility, as well as zinc, uh, and the B vitamins, and vitamin E. In fact, vitamin E was, for many years, dismissed as the sex vitamin or, uh, or the fertility vitamin. But it, it isn't the only vitamin that's important in that area. So I've already mentioned vitamin C and the B vitamins and, of course, the mineral zinc. But uh, don't forget, uh, you need the other minerals too, calcium and magnesium and uh, so on. But as far as these uh, different, uh, how do you call it, sex? Erectile dysfunction. Yeah, shall we say, yeah, sex enhancement drugs are concerned. The downside is that there will be depletion of nutrients, and I think uh, basically you'll be looking at at zinc and and vitamin E. I think there will be a problem with calcium and magnesium as well because uh, in muscle flexing and relaxing, Calcium and magnesium have a, 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 a to-and-fro effect. So uh, you have to consider that. But uh, also uh, because of they have the warnings on these drugs, by the way, such as uh, lowering blood pressure. And uh, so it can, uh, the misuse can cause heart failure. And, uh, and of course, uh, tell me that there's also a, a very likely a magnesium depletion situation going on if it's going to cause uh, and contribute to heart, to heart failure. So generally speaking, if you're on over-the-counter or prescription medications, you would recommend seeing your doctor? And ask the questions about these drugs. Uh, is it really for me? What is the downside? Do you know of uh, what nutrients that these drugs might be depleting me? And should I therefore be supplementing? Because unfortunately, too many doctors, and I've run across a few young ones, uh, as well as uh, many older ones, but in between young ones and old ones and others that aren't quite ready to retire that will say, yeah, there is nutrient depletion, you should be supplementing. But unfortunately, uh, most physicians out there uh, don't associate the drug, fact that the drugs that they are prescribing do have consequences and nutrient depletion is, is foremost. And that's why you get side effects. So if you have a doctor who does not understand or does not practice medicine incorporating drug-induced nutrient depletion into their practice, what would you recommend that they get another doctor? Well, they should, definitely, uh, they should definitely interview their doctor before they even hire him, as far as I'm concerned. With all due respect, there are many good doctors out there, but there's a lot of doctors out there. All they're interested in is uh, pushing a prescription. And we see that when doctors are bought up before the College of Physicians and Surgeons because of the undue number of prescriptions they put out in one day. In some cases, it's looked like they've, uh, they've uh, seen uh, maybe a few hundred patients, which is impossible, e- even in a 12-hour day, you know, and... 
but uh, that that's just a, a fact of medical life. But the bottom line is this, is that what does your doctor know about nutrition? Uh, is he going to say, well, uh, what do you eat? I mean, there's a classic case of what do you eat? This goes back into... Uh, way back into the 1970s, and this was reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association of a, about a woman came into hospital in the Los Angeles region, and she was bleeding internally. And they checked her out. They couldn't find out why she was bleeding internally, but they did have to drain, uh, uh, you know, a couple of uh, liters of, uh, of blood from her abdomen, and they sewed her up and sent her on her way, but it wasn't before too long, and she's back in, same problem, she's bleeding internally. And uh, they drained more blood. At one time, I think they drained as much as a uh, uh, a gallon of blood. It was that bad. Uh, eventually, they got to the point where they opened, really opened her up and had a look. They looked at, the, they were looking for hidden cancers, of course, or tumors. They found some watery cysts on the liver, and so they removed those. They didn't remove the liver. Uh, they uh, also checked the um, spleen, and they removed that because, uh, you know, a spleen uh, that is damaged can cause you to uh, bleed to death. They uh, looked at uh, other organs. They took out her appendix while they were at it. Uh, they also, uh, they, I think they uh, also took out her uterus. And uh, the long and the short of it is, is they, they, they did this, so up and sent her on her way, back, uh, on her way out of the hospital, but days or weeks later, she's back in. And this goes on for several months. Finally, she's back in again. Uh, clearly, this woman is bleeding to death. And uh, a doctor happened to ask her, what do you eat? Uh, she told him, and it turned out this woman was getting virtually no vitamin C in her diet at all. Uh, so to stop the internal bleeding, they found that she had to take at least 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day just to stop the internal bleeding. Now, that sure puts the kibosh on these great nutritional experts, whether they're in the health bureaucracy in Ottawa or uh, in Bethesda, Maryland, who will tell you that you only need, you know, uh, 25 to 75 milligrams of vitamin C a day to prevent scurvy. Well, I'm sorry, but uh, there are many subclinical signs of scurvy, uh, least of all bleeding, uh, such as uh, dark purple bruise spots, large dark purple bruising spots under the skin. I see that in elderly folk, people that are, I've seen them in people in their 50s. In fact, I had a, a, a long-time friend and known him for years from the time I first came to Vancouver. He came as he'd been, been treated for, uh, I think it was prostate cancer, and it was in, in remission, but he came in to see me after we had met uh, at a social function. And at that social function, he asked me, Croft, why am I getting these dark purple splotches under my, on my back of my hands and in my arms? And, of course, I said just one thing. You're bruising, and that means you have fragile blood vessels that you bruise so easily. Not only fragile blood vessels, but fragile capillaries. So, therefore, it's likely you're not getting enough vitamin C. How much are you taking? Well, he wasn't taking any. So I recommended that he take a couple of grams of a high-potency vitamin C with, a, I should say, a high-potency bioflavonoid content. And in fact, uh, a brand that I'm very familiar with, the Natural Factors. Uh, I recommended uh, their vitamin C extra, which is, uh, gives you 500 milligrams of vitamin C and uh, something like 500 milligrams of uh, citrus bioflavonoids, plus some rose hips and some um, other members of the bioflavonoid family. And I suggested he take about two of those twice a day, which he did. Uh, within uh, a week, uh, all the purple splotches uh, disappeared and stopped recurring. So, uh, and by the way, we don't get paid by Natural Factors uh, to do this program or or to give them a plug. This is one of the most reliable vitamin companies I've ever come across in all the years that I have been in the industry. Well, there you have it. We've been talking about 
drug-induced nutrient depletion and how you can help yourself using nutrients. I guess it's called orthomolecular medicine. Well, that's what uh, Linus Pauling coined, and certainly it was taken up by the, the late, great Abram Hoff, a great advocate of uh, nutrients. Uh, who, he's, uh, he was a psychiatrist who was treating... He, well, actually, he was a food chemist. His PhD was in uh, biochemistry and, uh, and of course, uh, particularly with uh, agriculture chemistry to do with agricultural feeding of animals. And he soon was, a, uh, he, uh, he was able to, uh, he got himself his medical degree uh, and then a degree in psychiatry to, uh, and, of course, extrapolated his uh, knowledge of food chemistry and a- animal husbandry and human health via nutrition and the relationship between uh, uh, B vitamin deficiency and mental illness. Uh, Canadian soldiers who survived uh, Hong Kong and uh, Singapore at the hands of the Japanese uh, when they, uh, these people were bare skin and bones. And uh, it was uh, Abe Hoffer who was able to bring them back to uh, normal health. But uh, significantly enough, because of the starvation on behalf of the Japanese war criminals, uh, some of these men uh, uh, survived but with a, a, a dependency for vitamin B3, niacin, a dependency they didn't have before they went into the army and ended up in, uh, in, uh, in, in China. And there's a whole theory based on mental illness as possibly being a nutrition depletion illness that these people uh, genetically, for some reason, require more nutrients than... This is correct. There are people who are genetically... And this can be caused by certain uh, illnesses as well, illnesses that the mother might have when she's carrying the baby. There can be genetically uh, induced requirements, higher requirements for certain nutrients than would be considered a, a normal... But the thing is, what is normal? You know, what is normal for one individual is not necessarily normal for somebody else. And, but it's definitely uh, Dr. Hoffer and, uh, and his uh, other colleagues uh, in uh, the nutritional sciences have, have found people uh, in the population who had a genetically uh, acquired uh, need for uh, higher than normal, uh, what would be considered normal in amounts of, uh, of nutrients in their diet. And uh, a lot of the illnesses out there, I am convinced, are, are nu- nutritionally induced through depletion, either because they have a genetic need for more than what they're getting, or else it's because of the drugs that they are uh, being influenced by. Interesting. Well, that's uh, why Kraft Woodruff is known as the Walking Encyclopedia of Natural Health. And uh, that's all the time we have for this week. So we will see you next week. We'll have more on the swine flu, more on other topics based on nutrition and natural health. Again, for listening to Health Empowerment News with Kraft McGrath. If you have any questions for future episodes, please email info at foodsarenotdrugs.com.